everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends, go get my new book. It's called The Power to Publish. And it's at the top of the page of zbooks.co at the link, my new book. And it's going to help you with all of your self-publishing needs. Okay, back to that podcast. Welcome to ZBooks Successful Authors Podcast. And with me, I have today Dr. Jan Herman, author of The Last Cowboy. Number one new release in several categories. How you doing, Jen? Dr. Jen. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. Can I ask you what, what doctor are you? Which? Well, I'm a retired physician. I was a nephrologist, kidney specialist. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds like something I'll be doing in the future. <laughs> okay. So you wrote a new book called The Last Cowboy. But before we get into the book, what got you started in writing? Well, you know, I was an English major in college. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, besides the normal literature courses that I took, I even took a course in creative writing. But I have not delved into fiction for, oh, 50 years or so. And I'd always wanted to. In fact, when I was in college, I often uh, thought about becoming a writer rather than a doctor. My father never even heard that word. Every time I said it, he said, no, you always wanted to be a doctor. So I finally agreed with him and became a doctor and uh, did some scientific writing, which is very different, as I'm sure you know, from um, fiction or, or nonfiction uh, for public consumption. And uh, once I retired, I cast about for something to do. And since I always wanted to write, um, this is what I uh, finally settled on. It took, me, it took me a good deal of time to finally write the book. I had had it and others actually uh, circulating in my brain for, for many years. The ideas are rattling around and uh, finally uh, took time to, uh, to put it to paper. And it's interesting because I had, uh, uh, the opportunity to become a columnist for a local newspaper that was uh, actually uh, reasonably had a reasonable circulation. And uh, I'd written one column, it was published, and the publisher was going to send over a photographer and other, uh, other folks to get started to publish and uh, have a picture of me for the column. And then he just vanished. I, I guess in common parlance today, you would say he ghosted me. And I have no idea why. Uh, he, he liked the material. He wanted to publish it and just stop. So I got really mad is yeah. what happened. And mm -hmm. I said, no, I, I want to write. So I said, I'm finally going to do this. And I did. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fickle industry, isn't it? When, I don't know why they, well, ghosting. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it's typical. So, um, well, okay. So that was my question. Why didn't you write for the column then? Because they... Yeah, so. They published so, one, they stopped. Yeah, yeah. How long did it take you to write the book? About a month. A month, okay, how many words is it? 
uh, it's around 55,000 words or oh, so. Oh, good one. That's a good-sized um, novel then, yeah. yeah right. Well, so, I, when I say it took a month to write, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go go for it. Well, it, well I say it took a month to write. It took another two or three months to edit and rewrite. Of course, of course. And it's historical fiction, right? So it's called The Last Cowboy. So, yeah, tell us about that. Well, would you mind if I read from the back cover? Uh, that oh, you, you can read any part of it. Go ahead. Well, I'll read from the back cover, which is a blurb about the, uh, about the novel. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll omit the first paragraph. Uh, this is a sweeping tale of a reluctant hero of the West. It is also a story of romance and international adventure, stretching from West Texas to San Francisco, Chicago, New York, London, Tangier, and the Moroccan Rift. The novel spans an equally expansive time frame, 1860 to 1912. The backdrop is the American frontier with all its endearing myths and troubling realities. Ultimately, his heroism earns Hank unexpected wealth, friends on three continents, and the love of an extraordinary woman. Now ensconced in a mansion in the most exclusive neighborhood of San Francisco, Hank has a beautiful wife, three remarkable children. He wants nothing more than to enjoy them all and the highly successful international tour business he and Beth now operate. But a last perilous mission awaits. Hank has a debt to pay and a friend to rescue in a far off land. And I, I can tell you that throughout the course of the, the novel, I plant what are, I guess, in, in the electronic uh, technical world called Easter eggs. Ah, oh, yeah. That are little surprises and foreshadow uh, many uh, events and uh, that occur uh, later in the novel. How long did it take you to research it? Well, it was that month or so of writing. I was simultaneously writing and researching at the same time. You know, the, the internet is a marvelous tool uh, for such things. You know, in previous years when I was growing up, I would have had to spend a year in the library to do what I did uh, yeah. uh, writing. And in fact, you know, I would spend 12, 14, 16 hour days writing. It wasn't as if I was just uh, sitting around going in and out for a month. I spent much of my time here uh, at the desktop uh, typing away. Yeah, that's, the, way, I, uh, the previous person I interviewed also does historical fiction. And you know, you can charge more for historical fiction than other books because uh, it takes longer to write them, basically, and research them. And uh, it's pretty cool. So tell us about Hank. Well, uh, Hank is the protagonist, and he grows from a what one reviewer called a rough and ready cowboy, including some um, illegal activities uh, to become uh, a lawman and ultimately a successful entrepreneur. But he's, he's, he's grounded um, by a sense of uh, morality and ethics uh, that uh, leave him with a sense of guilt for some of his past doings and uh, a need to repay his friends and society in general uh, for the uh, good fortune that has come to him. He never quite sees himself as a hero. He never actually recognizes that fact, except everybody around him does. And uh, the story centers on him, but there's also, there are also interludes about his wife, his daughter, and his two twin sons, all of whom are uh, remarkable human beings. 
Uh, and uh, Hank uh, is involved in uh, international intrigue and uh, a number of rescues. And uh, he does in fact uh, have a couple of uh, shootouts with some bad folks out in the old west. Yeah, cool. And it starts out in Knob Hill, San Francisco. But I have to ask you, what does Morocco have to do with The Last Cowboy? Well, that is a great question, which, le which leads me into the story itself. Yeah. You know, ultimately, after uh, finishing a stint as a uh, sheriff, uh, he uh, founds a tour business uh, in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And that leads to two things. First, uh, he meets his wife, well, his wife-to-be, uh, as part of a tour. And second, uh, he meets a uh, Moroccan uh, businessman that turns out to be enormously wealthy. And he, he's so taken with Hank that he invites him to Morocco for a, um, for a visit. And Hank, and he leaves him a gift, which happens to be a, a diamond knowing that that would be an enticement. And in fact, Hank takes the bait and goes to Morocco where he uh, is hosted by uh, this Moroccan, Mr. Al-Aziz. During the course of that uh, visit, uh, Hank and the um, a sergeant of Mr. Aziz's army rescue uh, Mr. Aziz's daughter who has been kidnapped. And that leads uh, to many, many other uh, adventures. Ultimately, uh, Hank has to return to Morocco 20 years later because the sergeant who helped him rescue this young woman saved his life and is now impoverished and uh, is under assault. So he has to go back to Morocco, he feels, and he's willing to risk his life and all that he's attained at this point in terms of wealth and family in order to pay this debt he owes to Ali. Uh, and that's how he winds up back in Morocco 20 years later for his last uh, adventure. And as one reviewer put it, he must one more time become the last cowboy. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but um, did you use uh, some kind of uh, like a template, like the three act play or the hero's journey or something like that? Um, I did not do it quite in that format, but what I did do is to uh, set up a rolling format wherein uh, Hank would uh, write an essay, which would sometimes uh, detail his uh, previous life uh, and, his, that, and from which you understand his motivations. Uh, and sometimes these essays would uh, also veer into a variety of esoteric topics, hmm. cool. but always give background information. The second chapter following that would be the present time in San Francisco or later Morocco. And the third would be um, a, a third person narrative of hmm. past history. So we would go back and forth, present and past, hmm. interspersed with these essays. And hmm. it would follow a pattern, one, two, three. That's interesting, because, yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you keep it all together? Because I am I do a little bit of fiction myself, and when you do these, um, not alternate timelines, parallel timelines, and, and, you know, every character has his own or her own timeline, how do you keep that all together? It was challenging, and I had to constantly take notes. 
And ultimately, I, I had to uh, research the travel times and travel means uh, mm -hmm. and the uh, approximate time it would take to get from place to place back in uh, the time settings in which they occurred. And it, it actually, I got confused, so I had to write it all down. And at the end of the book, there is a timeline, which I would encourage readers not to look at until they finish, because ah, okay. it gives away, gives away the plot. But the timeline in the end uh, is reasonably accurate in terms of um, uh, travel uh, times and how long it would take to, um, how long it would take uh, to reach, go from one destination to another. I can, I can also tell you uh, that part of the book, I pay homage to a number of uh, movies from mm -hmm. which I drew uh, timelines. And th they were some of my favorite Westerns. Uh, yeah. high, no high Noon, there's a plot that I sort of, sort of took, took from High Noon, just to pay homage to that. And mm -hmm. also the same for um, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and uh, Quickly Down Under with Tom Selleck. You know, if you've watched those, if you haven't watched those movies, I would greatly uh, encourage you to do so if you like westerns. Uh, they're they're wonderful. And um, the other one was, um, gosh, oh, the Wind of the Lion with uh, Sean Connery. I uh, saw that. You know, what's so funny about that? It, did you see um, the real pictures of the prince, or was yes. he? He wasn't a prince. Was was he a prince? No, um, no, he he was a sheikh. The shike. Did you see the real pictures of him? Yes, and I, that I doesn't look like anything like the movie. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I. He's part of the plot, by the way. I, yeah. I, I introduced yeah. people into the plot, although of course they weren't doing the the things that uh, they mm -hmm. that they did in real life. But they, I introduced them. It was a great movie too, and uh, of course they had to put the, the actors look better than in real life. But yeah, yeah, that's some challenging stuff. Uh, Bergen was in that movie as well, and she's yeah. she she was great. Sorry to, to no fun. no no, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah yeah yeah, that's fun writing fiction, but but the historical fiction is a challenge like that. Like um, like with the time again, I was reading a Mark Twain novel or book, and um, he traveled to Paris uh, on a steamer, and of course they had boat time, and he was ex trying to explain boat time. It didn't work very well, but but you get the gist. He they back then even on the boat. They had a kind of uh, a time difference with jet lag and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how does uh, Hank Hank gets to Morocco on a boat? Obviously, right? Yes. Yeah. Both okay. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I don't want to give away the whole book. Everybody's going to have to go out there and buy it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so what's your favorite long gun? Well. Actually, it's a fictional one from Quigley Down Under. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a movie with Tom Selleck, who uh, actually travels to Australia. Alan Rickman in that movie plays this incredibly wonderful villain, as he often does. Mm -hmm. And um, as you know, he's passed since. But uh, Tom Selleck has a, a mythical rifle. Uh, and he is the world's greatest shot with that. And that it's a major theme in the uh, in that movie so i don't remember actually the i don't think it has a name it doesn't have a name uh -huh. but it was a rifle especially designed for him uh, okay and, uh, he he does magical work with it what's the name of the movie again quigley down under oh okay quigley down under. no i haven't seen that one i'm going to figure that one out 
I'm writing. I'm writing as you speak. So, okay. Next question. What's your favorite sidearm? Well, it has to be uh, the six-shooter uh, that Colt invented. And as you know, um, the saying that distributed to him uh, has been quoted in endless Western movies. And it's, it's said that he once uh, wrote that his uh, six-shooter made all men equal. And there have been variations of that. And I, I did use that in the book uh, for my own purposes. I made it my own. Uh, and I think I made it pretty humorous when I when I did when I did use it. Also ironic too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, it's a, a gun of myth, hmm. uh, mythical proportions. Yeah. Yeah. Famous. Very. Very famous. Okay. Do you ever get writer's block? Um, that you know that's an interesting question. Says so I'm not sure exactly what it is. I do know that I have two more novels rattling around in my head. And I've been procrastinating in uh, setting them down to paper because of the effort it took to write that first one and the research and the dedication and the hours it took. So I've, I've not been able to overcome it. So if that's writer's block, that's one form of it. And uh, I'm still trying to find the right focus in order to uh, set myself down in this chair in front of the uh, desktop to, to type it out. And I, I find it... Um, interesting that my wife says there's a right time to do it and you'll find that right time yeah there's several philosophies of course some people say you got to have a deadline some people work better with deadlines but if you're writing creative stuff maybe it's better that you that you write the what you want to write and and make it right <laughs> And instead of forcing it, you might have the wrong story come out. So that's my next question. Um, do you, are you an outliner? Do you outline your stories? Um, yes, I, I, I write down the outline and mm. I continually revise it because some of it is done on the fly. It's not, mm. all, it's not all there. I had to come up with solutions to various problems that I created myself in order to make mm. them uh, believable. Yeah. And uh, so I've got, the outline for the next novel sitting up in my head, you know, when I take hikes, I, I love to hike. And when mm -hmm. I take the hikes, uh, these ideas are popping down. And I always hope that I remember them when I get home so I can write them down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking about that because, yeah, if you don't, if you're not satisfied with your your book, the way it's coming out, then, then I'm actually against the deadline because then you're just forcing the situation, right? And it's got a, the, 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 the climax and all of that stuff that it has to sit, you know, and you have to be satisfied with it. So a lot of people have, you know, 10,000 word day count and all words per day count and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's called organizational block at that point, because you got so much going on. You're not, you don't have writer's block. You just plot block, maybe, maybe you have a plot block or something. Yeah. Boy, I don't have any solution for that, though. <laughs> you, 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 you could, um, you could um, uh, read some other books and get some inspiration and then try to work backwards from the goal. That's one thing I used to do. But uh, yeah. So talking about other books, then, who's your favorite author? Uh, Mark Helprin. Um, oh, okay. What did he write? 
Well, he's written a whole series of, of novels and short stories. I've only read the novels. I think I read one short story. His probably most famous was, um, I mean, I wrote it down. Hang on one second. Um, Winter's Tale, which was made into a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a fantasy. Um, and it's it, it didn't, uh, it was not greatly uh, reviewed by the critics, it was not a, a huge success, but it, for me, it's, it's a wonderful novel and a tearjerker. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a wonderful movie, I thought, I loved it. <laughs> and my, my favorite novel of his is um, A Soldier of the Great War. Uh, he's written others that I really, really enjoy. And one is hilarious, it's absolutely hilarious. I, I don't know how he goes from comedy to, um, uh, <laughs> to uh, very uh, solemn fiction, but it, it's called Freddie and Frederica. Okay, and it's laugh out loud, uh, funny. Okay. and the the last one, the last couple that I read were quite melancholy. One was in Sunlight and Shadow, and it's a, a truly uh, outstanding novel, if if a little bit maudlin. And uh, so I I have greatly enjoyed his range of talents. Interesting. I'll check that out. Freddie and Frederica. That, that's the last. Right. That's his funny one. Soldier of the Great War, I think, is his, ma is his masterpiece. Mm, okay, I'll check that out, too. But is that also your favorite book, or is your favorite author, uh, your, your favorite book different from your favorite author? No, no, I think that uh, uh, Soldier of the Great War ha is one of my favorite, is my favorite book. Uh, hmm. My wife just started reading it. I read it over a decade ago, hmm. and yeah. uh, she started it. You know, there are some other wonderful authors that I love, but I focused on yeah on the one on the of one. Course. Of course, yeah. yeah. Have you have you read any book twice? No, I have not. I've mm -hmm. never read a book twice. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. What? Um. Oops. So, what what keeps you up at night? Well, uh, presently. Uh, there are a number of things. Uh, one is the state of uh, politics in the United States. I won't. I don't think I'd best go into that any further. Well, I'm from California, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Anyways, you don't know what to believe nowadays. Terrible, terrible. Okay. So, uh, so what are you excited about right now? Well, I, I can tell you, I. I'm excited, uh, you know, about um, about writing my two new novels. I just have to sit down and stop procrastinating. Yeah, uh, we're going to uh, going to be visiting our children in March up in Northern California, and my wife and I are greatly looking forward to that. And we're excited about getting back to some semblance of normal, is for lack of a better term, with the mm -hmm. pandemic that's uh, been raging and claiming untold numbers of lives and tra causing tragedies. Yeah, um, that's a very good point because I want to visit California this summer. And I heard that the mask mandates are over next week in California. Yes, yeah, so I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, I don't know if that's premature or not. I know a lot of governors of both parties are mm -hmm. lifting their mandates mm -hmm. uh, for under a variety of circumstances all around the country, right? Uh, as we speak, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, public health experts in the CDC often say that's premature. 
Hmm. So, uh, you know, a couple more weeks probably is would be worthwhile. But, um, you know, I, I suspect that politics has something to do with these lifting of all the mask mandates and some of the vaccine mandates, too. Yeah, well, it's it's difficult to compare other countries and other states. But then again, um, if there was a clear, yeah, follow the science, they say, well, if okay, if the science was clear, then wouldn't they all do the same thing? You know? I don't know. So, okay. Anyway, no. by, by summer, California should be opened up, I hope. <laughs> Well, that's what we're hoping, too, because we have a trip planned, a couple trips yeah. in the summer. I hope we can take them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my I had a ticket for last, no, two years ago, and it got canceled, right? So I have to use it this year or else it, it it's void. You know, I heard that they can't do that, actually. But um, according to British Airways, my ticket's void if I don't use it this year because it's already two years old. Ah, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to try this year again. I hope you make it on your trip too. Sooner or later, it has to be over. What what really um, scares me though is that this is going to happen every five to ten years. Every five to ten years, there's a new a new uh, uh, coronavirus strain coming out. Um, what was it several years ago? SARS-CoV-1, the bird flu. Before that, it was the pig flu. <laughs> I don't know which animal it's going to be next, but every five to ten years. Are, we're going to test our system and see who can become the most tyrannical, I guess, you know, and that's, that's what bothers me. So I don't know. Well, there is hope, you know, uh, the army apparently has developed a vaccine that mm. can potentially protect against all coronaviruses. Hmm. Uh, so that would be, yeah, that would be a major breakthrough. Yeah, that, that would, because, um, it's it's uh, related to a flu, right? It's a type of flu. No, no, it's no? it's it's an entirely different virus. Oh, okay. Because SARS-CoV, uh, I got mixed up with the names there, but um, the flu comes back every year. And now, is is the coronavirus going to replace it every year? No, you know th there have been articles that have uh, worried about the uh, possibility of getting co-infection with both viruses and how deadly that could be. I, I don't, that has not come to pass on any mass scale. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly a pretty rare event, but uh, the, the influenza virus and the uh, coronavirus are, are different viral families. That's what I was thinking of. I'm sorry, I didn't want to go into your doctor career now and, and <laughs> bug you about that, but, uh, but well, it's pertinent right now. We're, we both want to travel, right? So, yes. yeah. So, well, I was going to ask you, um, what's, what's your um, project? So you got two books coming. Do you have working names for your two next books? Well, uh, one um, will, will, I think will be uh, letters, plural, from Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, now, there is a, one, there's a nonfiction letter from Berlin that, that was reissued re, uh, just recently. And, and so I don't want to trade on that. So, but hmm. uh, I have the plot lines down and the characters as well. It's the same family, mm -hmm. just okay. uh, in a later later time frame, and uh, I have, that's the preliminary title. But I may have to change that to Letters from Munich or something else, so that I, I don't uh, I don't appear to be trying to use something else. And yeah, the title is important, though. You want a catchy title, right? 
So, all right. If you don't mind, I'll ask some miscellaneous questions. So, if you could eat dinner with anyone, past, present, or future, who would it be? Uh, that would be Abraham Lincoln. Oh, uh, he, he's been my hero forever. And, um, you know, going back to my novel, Hank evolves, and the way he evolves, uh, we, I demonstrate that through his essays, which become increasingly sophisticated under the tutelage of his wife. And Abraham Lincoln evolved uh, in many ways in his uh, belief systems, especially mm -hmm. toward African-Americans. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, it's difficult to pin him down, but you know, of any human being that I know of, uh, he's the one who appears to have been grounded in uh, a set of ethics that guided him throughout his entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, had he not been assassinated, you know, you can't engage too much in speculative history, but our, the direction of the United States would have been much different. This is, to me, there's no question about that. And uh, uh, here's a man with great ambition, but with incredible moral authority. And uh, it's difficult for anyone, to my knowledge, uh, to have um, matched, matched that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, would be great to go back and meet some of these people and uh, talk to them, you know. But uh, how far do you want to go back? You know, I, I'd like to go back, you know, really far and see who my ancestors were, or something like that. But uh, yeah, and then Honest Abe, he was also there during the Civil War, with probably the worst war we were ever in, huh? We, our our ancestors were ever in, yes. you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting times indeed. I, I was reading a lot about that too. And they, you know, the, the North was industrialized. They had the telegraph and uh, basically the South didn't have a chance, but um, Abraham Lincoln, man, he's an interesting character. He's an interesting character. We could do a podcast just about him. Yeah. All right. Another spontaneous question. What's in your pockets right now? Uh, nothing. Nothing. No empty stethoscope pockets. or car keys. Empty pockets. No stethoscope. No car keys. The wow. Stethoscope I hung up sitting upstairs in my closet. Very good. Yeah. So, yeah, living the Zen California lifestyle, huh? Cool. <laughs> okay. Do you have a morning routine? Yes, uh, I do. Wake up uh, at around uh, between seven and eight every day. Uh, even though I may want to sleep longer and uh, come downstairs and uh, make myself some tea, sit down and read my Apple feed with the, uh, with the tea. So I, I spend an hour or more every morning uh, reading about the news of the day, getting myself overly excited and then <laughs> getting myself having to go outside and exercise yeah. as a result. Yeah. Well, I can improve your life 50%. Instantly, just stop reading the news. You know, you know that would be that would be a wonderful <laughs> idea. I, yeah. I'm addicted, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I I also say that too. I would love to do that, but it's our tax money they're using. You know, it's it's our money they're using to do all this stuff. So of course you got to be interested. You know. Well, the good news actually is there uh, on the Apple app. I don't mean to publicize Apple, but on that app they have. <laughs> They have lots of other interesting stories besides just news. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, you know, I learned about this latest 
fusion experiment in Oxford, England, and, you mm -hmm. know, just, just today and learn new words I'd never heard of before. So sometimes yeah. it's diverting. Sometimes yeah. we get stuff from National Geographic that's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. National Geographic used to be my favorite magazine. I had a subscription to them. All right. What's the one question you wish people would ask you, but they don't? Ooh, yeah. Hmm. I, I would say that why I have had, without boasting, a reasonably successful career. Hmm. And I would answer, and a reasonably successful, a more than reasonably successful marriage. And the answer to both questions is my wife. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So, oh boy, how much time do you have now? <laughs> I'm looking at my clock here, you know. Yeah. So how you're retired now, right? Yes. So now you have all sorts of time to write books. So when did you retire, if I may ask? Uh, two years ago. Okay. Are you enjoying it? Um, you know, it's a difficult transition at first. You know, my entire identity had been tied up being a doctor. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, as, as with many folks, uh, I was my work. Uh, and uh, that transition was difficult, especially because I felt some guilt retiring at the time uh, that COVID was just starting. I was one of those folks wearing one of those N95 masks at work. Mm -hmm. But I planned it before then. And mm -hmm. uh, I went through with it. Um, hmm. And uh, I, I, I was rooting around for, for things to do because I had not prepared well. I mean, I, I'm an avid reader, but mm -hmm. you can't spend your days every day, all day just reading. And so it took me some time. I'm an avid hiker too. And I, mm -hmm. a lot of that. Um, and so that's when I thought about uh, writing a column. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that, that almost worked out, but I guess it's, it's good that it didn't. Because uh, I, I sat down and, and wrote my novel as, as a res, almost as a direct result of that. So, yeah, yeah so it was a, a bit of a difficult transition. I'm, I'm pretty well reconciled to that now, although I still maintain a medical license. I guess Interesting, I'm, yeah. I'm still yeah. clinging to my identity. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, and yeah, actually, you retired, right? Was it right when COVID hit? Uh, yes, I retired in March of... Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what? Right when the the stuff hit the fan, basically. <laughs> and I was actually fortunate because yeah. uh, the individual I shared an office with got COVID, and had I not, you know, not left, he got after I after I left, I might have been one of the uh, casualties because you know I, uh, that was before the vaccine, and you know I'm I'm in an age and gender where mm -hmm. I'm at high risk. I heard we're all going to get it like, you know, that we're all going to get it at one point. But OK, no more medical questions. Sorry about that. That, you know, that happens to all doctors. People start saying, hey, can you look at my elbow and all this stuff? You know, you can't go anywhere with without people asking you dumb questions, huh? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. And, you know, I, I don't mind engaging in those things with yeah. little knowledge I have. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll have to do another podcast about COVID and, and all that other stuff, you know. Okay, well. So no, I where can't represent myself. I'm sorry, yes. Go ahead, what were you going to say? I can't represent myself as an, as an expert on COVID. 
Yeah, I'm not yeah. one of those folks who appear on uh, on TV all the time with their yeah. uh, medical knowledge. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think you want to because it's just so dangerous. Now you might say something, you might say something true, and it'll get misconstrued or chopped up in the media, and then you're guilty of something. You know, it's it's really dangerous, anyways. That's why, that's why. I should stop talking about it myself, you know. So, so where can we reach you online? I have no presence in uh, social media. What about never, your books? Um, well, they're they're available on Amazon, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I think they're they're also available on Barnes and Noble too. In fact, I know they are. Uh, so they're available at, at, on both sites, mm -hmm. uh, both in electronic and print version. So that's easy. Uh, Jan Herman, the last cowboy. Yeah, if you you just uh, if you go to Amazon, just put my name in with two R's. Yeah. Uh, okay. You get the uh, it comes up, or as the last cowboy, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually, it actually comes up easier under under my name. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you, and and uh, I wish you lots of luck with those two new novels. Let me know when they're done, and uh, and then we'll do another podcast. I'd be, I'd love to do that. All right. Great. That. Thanks again, and see you next time. Thank you very much. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.